on-demand coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. It's a Tuesday, PFT PM. Usually don't do Tuesday, but I'm doing Tuesday today because we have an interview with Drew Brees. Super Bowl 44 MVP, future Hall of Famer, first ballot. Drew Brees joins me coming up momentarily. It was taped earlier today. About 15 minutes or so. So if I want the whole thing to be about an hour, I guess I'll talk for about 10 or 15 minutes, and then you'll hear Drew Brees, and then I'll prattle on for about 30 minutes answering your questions. Chances are I'm going to end up going longer than that. We'll see. We'll see how many questions there are. There isn't a whole lot I want to say before I let you hear Drew Brees. I am intrigued by Baker Mayfield's handling of the Clay Skipper story in GQ magazine. And I... I I don't know what I really want to say about this. I defended Baker Mayfield's honor as it relates to the Clay Skipper story because I know how this goes. And I've heard from some people who are in the business and there has been some people on Twitter who are in the business and they don't like that I'm giving Clay Skipper the business because of these drive-by interviews where... Anything you say can and will be used against you, even if these guys in their early 20s don't quite understand that you're always on the record unless you stop everything and say off the record. The Jalen Ramsey of the Jaguars learned that last year, interviewed by, you guessed it, Clay Skipper of GQ. Now, the stuff Jalen Ramsey said was a lot more controversial than the stuff Baker Mayfield said, and... Ramsey never tried to fight it. I interviewed Ramsey last October, and I asked him, what have you learned from those print interviews that you did that created so much intrigue? There was one with ESPN, the magazine as well, although the GQ one was the one that caught the most fire. He said, you got to learn that basically you're always on when you're meeting with these people. Everything you say is fair game. Now, what Baker Mayfield had to say about Daniel Jones wasn't nearly as pointed as Jalen Ramsey saying that Bills quarterback Josh Allen is trash. Baker Mayfield said, I couldn't believe that the Giants drafted Daniel Jones. It blew my mind. And then he went in on the idea that winning is a critical characteristic and Jones, of course, under 500 during his Three years with Duke. Mayfield went to social media and he posted this. This is not what I said, just so we're clear. I also said I was surprised I got drafted number one. Then was talking about the flaws in evaluating quarterbacks. Where I brought up winning being important, reporters and media will do anything to come up with a clickbait story. Heard nothing but good things and wish nothing but the best for Daniel. This is kind of weird. And again, I like Baker Mayfield, and I guess I don't really necessarily feel compelled to protect him. I felt compelled to protect all players who get screwed by this mentality from non-sports reporters who lure these guys in to be interviewed. And with GQ, look, somebody said to me, hey, you know, if you get access, you do whatever you want. More power to you. Well, yeah, if you are... 
dangling a GQ photo shoot as the quid pro quo, hell yeah, you're going to get access. They can get anybody they want. Hey, we're interested in interviewing you. No, I'm not really interested. Well, you know, this is GQ, and you get a photo shoot, and you're probably going to be on the cover. Oh, okay, I'll do it. And then they got to be thinking, what the hell is GQ going to ask me? It's not a sports magazine. They're not going to ask me any tough questions. They're not going to try to twist my words. They're not going to use clickbait. That's not what I said, just so we're clear. I also said I was surprised I got drafted number one. So that's not what he said, but it is what he said. See, that's what happens when you're always on and you don't realize you're always on. I wish that's what he would have said. Yeah, I said what I said, but you know what? We sat down, we were having a meal, we're just shooting the shit, and I didn't see a recorder, I didn't see a notebook, I didn't see nothing. Just a couple of guys hanging out, having lunch, looked up at the screen, saw a Giants feature on Sports Center, and I said what I said. I said more, but those words came out of my mouth. And that's the thing, I don't know whether or not Clay Skipper just commits it to memory. He's secretly recording. If he's got a notebook out, and that's what one reporter said to me today, hey, if a notebook's out, it's fair game. Well, I don't know that a notebook's out. Because if a notebook's out, and the person is writing while you're talking, then it's obvious that everything you say can and will be used against you. I mean, I don't scribble down. If I'm talking to somebody on the phone, I don't scribble down every single word. Now, if I can, I'll, you know, I, I'll type some notes or something like that, but if I'm going to get an exact quote, I'm going to make damn sure I remember it. The problem is if somebody calls you on it, you don't have any way to, to prove it, but I mean, oh, here's my notebook. Here, see, I wrote down exactly what you said. Yeah, 10 minutes after this became an issue. So I guess the only thing that really helps you in a case like this is having the person's voice on tape. Either way... I don't like the way this is handled by non-sports reporters who get this access and feel compelled to include the most controversial stuff. And every year there's going to be a guy who gets burned by it. Last year, Jalen Ramsey. This year, Baker Mayfield. Who's going to be next year? More power to you, I guess, but I just don't like it. And from my perspective, I mean, it's a combination of uh, am I resentful? Is there envy involved? I mean, I... I can't play that game with people or I'm not going to get any interviews. If I was going to do one a year, I mean, you have to have the relationships in place with people so you can get access. If you start pissing everybody off, you ain't getting access. It's hard enough to get access because I do piss people off. But at least I'm fair with what they say. I've never had anyone say after I interviewed them, I didn't say what you said I said. Now, most of the interviews I do are on camera, but as I pointed out earlier today, there's plenty of times before the interview starts, there's stuff said that would be interesting. There's stuff said that would constitute clickbait. It's still not clickbait either. Clickbait is when you say... 
What Baker Mayfield said about Daniel Jones is insane. I guess if you're, I guess if you're selectively quoting him, I don't know. I don't want to defend Clay Skipper either. But here's the other thing too. When he says reporters and media will do anything to come up with a clickbait story. Now, don't lump us all in here. The rest of us were reacting to the quotes that were attributed to Baker Mayfield. I defended him. Because I think he didn't mean for what he said to be used. I think he said what he said. I don't think he meant for it to be used. But don't call us clickbait or don't accuse the rest of us as being in on this when it's presented by GQ as exactly what you said. And that's what GQ did. The people who repeated what GQ quoted should not be chastised here. All right, summer's heat and it is still hot out there. My God, I'm in West Virginia. It has been hot the past few days. It can be draining on your vehicle's battery. Rising temperatures can cause battery fluids to evaporate. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts now and have your battery tested free of charge. If your battery does need to be replaced, the professional parts people at O'Reilly Auto Parts will help you find the exact superstar battery that fits your car or truck at a guaranteed low price. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Okay, I spoke earlier today with Super Bowl 44 MVP Drew Brees. Here is the entire conversation with Saints quarterback Drew Brees. It's always a great day to have one of the all-time great quarterbacks in the National Football League back on the program. He is Saints quarterback Drew Brees. Drew, great to talk to you again. How are you, pal? Thanks, Mike. I'm doing great. How are you? Hey, I am doing great, and I know that you guys are going at it full bore to get ready for the 2019 season. Appreciate some of your time. I got a lot of things, and I can rock it around a bunch of different topics. I'm just going to jump right into it. I think about the future, and I think about an NFL, and it seems unthinkable without Drew Brees. And I don't want to get into the when are you going to retire, but do you ever think about how you want to be remembered by football fans once your playing career is over? Yeah, I do. Uh, I mean, that's that's legacy, right? Um, so um, I want to be viewed as a guy who, who left the game better than when he found it. Um, somebody who played the game at a high level consistently for a very long time, who did things the right way, who treated people the right way, who handled every element of being a professional athlete the right way. Not just the way you played on the field, but the way you handled things in the locker room, the way you handled things in your community. Um, that's, that's, that's at the end of the day how I want to be remembered. And when that end of the day comes, you know, some guys will have that farewell tour that last year where we know this is it. A lot of guys don't. Do you have an inclination or a lean one way or the other as to whether or not you want to have that last year where you and everyone else are aware this is it? Or it's just going to be the day comes that it's time for Drew Brees to move on? I'd probably prefer the latter, <laughs> you know, and, and not, you know, not build it up so much. Um, and, and you know what, I, I think you, I don't really think you, you necessarily know. It, when when th- that year is going to be your last, you know, I think I think you just you know a couple of years ago I I I made the decision, like the conscious decision that you know what I'm truly going to play every year like it's my last. Like I know we talk about that a lot as athletes just to create a sense of urgency, but but truly, 
like three years ago, I told myself, I'm, I'm really going to play each year like it could be my last. Just that way, I, I enjoy the moment that much more. I don't take anything for granted. And um, I, just, I just really maximize the experience. And I feel like as a result of that, I've, 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 I've been able to think much clearer. Um, I truly have been able to enjoy it a lot more. I've had more fun playing football each of these last few years than I've, I've had my whole career. Um, and I think the results show it, you know, as far as our level of success um, as a team and, and personally. So um, I, I recognize that I'm, I'm closer to the end than I am to the beginning of my career, you know, uh, but I can't sit here and put a number on it. Um, and so I'm just, I'm just going to continue to take that approach. Just maximize the experience, stay in the moment, and just enjoy every second of it. So when that moment comes at the end of each season, and you've taken it one year at a time, how long do you ponder and how long does it take for you to know, all right, let's keep going, I'm ready to roll? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, I think um, somebody told me one time, and and this makes a lot of sense, is that – Listen, we all we all love game day, right? We all love um, the feeling uh, that we get, you know, running on the field and, and, and playing in front of fans and and, and being being in the locker room with your teammates during that time and just the the, the the rush of energy and emotion that 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 gives, right? Everybody loves that, um, but it's the grind to get to that point, right? That I think you have. To you have to love that as well. You know, as difficult as that is at times, I think that's that's part of what you 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 love to do as well. And so I think when it gets to the point where you just feel like you're you're kind of past that, you know, the the the, the grind of of a season or the preparation, and you're just not into that the way that you used to. I think that that's that's when you know that all right, you know, I'm I'm not giving this what it deserves. And, and so it's time to, time to walk away. You've had a couple of unique and heartbreaking ends to the postseason each of the last two years, the game in Minnesota, the game against the Rams, and the Superdome. How much of that caused you to say, screw this, I can't go out this way, I'm back on it, I'm back at it, we, we, we can't have this be the final act of my football career? Yeah, there's still, there's still a lot to prove and still a lot to accomplish. And, and so that's, that's why I'm in it. You know, I love this game. I love playing the game. I love my teammates. I love the locker room. I love the opportunities that I, it, 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 I'm able to enjoy with my family being a part of it as well. You know, my kids, my boys. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's a lot that we still have to accomplish as a team. Your former teammate Mark Ingram now with the Ravens said not that long ago that he's never going to get over what happened in the NFC Championship game. Are you over it? And if not, what needs to happen for you to get over it? <laughs> Go win it all? <laughs> That's the only way you get over something like that. Um, listen, that'll always sting. You know, that'll always sting. I think more so just because, um, yeah, you you know that that team – that team will, will never exist anymore, right? You know, you lose a guy like Mark Ingram, Max Unger retires, you know, you, you lose a few others. And so, you know, that team, um, even though you, know, you have a lot of the same guys on this year's team, that team was, 
will, will no longer exist, right? And so you you wanted you wanted it so bad for that team, right? Because um, because we felt like we had worked so hard to get to that point, and and we you know we had earned that right. But um, but listen, it didn't happen. You know, just like the year before, it didn't happen. You know, when we felt like we were we were really hitting our stride at the right time. And, you know, man, we make that play in, in Minnesota and we're on our way to, to Philadelphia to play in the NFC championship game and you know. So, um but but hey, it wasn't meant to be and and, and I I believe that you know, everything happens for a reason to pos- to position you to accomplish the next thing. And so um I feel like what happened two years ago in Minnesota positioned us to, to make the run that we made last year. And I believe that what happened last year will position us to make the run that, that we hopefully make this year. You know, you had an NFC Championship game win that caused the NFL to change the overtime rules. The NFC Championship game loss resulted in another rule change. How closely are you paying attention, Drew, to the way that replay review for pass interference is being implemented in these various preseason games, not just yours, but games throughout the league? Um, well, I, it's come up a time or two for us in the last uh, two weeks um, with our preseason games. Um, I know we we challenged a, a pass interference call and, and one of the opposing teams challenged a pass interference call. Um, it, it sounds like obviously it's something that the NFL is working through right now just to, you know, um, to find out exactly what type of consistency, you know, they'll have when it comes to reviewing those. You know, I think I think only time will tell. You know, let's let's see how this determines the outcome of some games. You know, during the season, which I think inevitably you can argue it will. Um, I think it, it's it's one thing to review things that are just black and white when it comes to determining a call, like hey, did the ball cross the line or did it not? You know, was a player's knee down or was it not? Or if there was an element of timing, right? Like hey, the the defender hit. The receiver early, right? I think that's something you could determine by watching video. Or did he hit him in the head? That's something you can determine by watching video. I think that's all pretty black and white. But when it comes to the interpretation of what pass interference is, I think we'd all agree that of all the you know 17 officiating crews in the NFL, each one interprets it just a little bit different, right? That's why some call more than others, right? So when it comes to the review of pass interference, what's the interpretation, right? Um, and so what level of consistency are we going to find in regards to what is pass interference, both offense and defense, and what is not? So we'll see how it plays out. Andrew, what's crystallized for me as I've been watching these games and looking at the calls made, there's a lot of power that's vested in Al River on the senior VP of officiating. I mean, he's got that absolute control over every game. Is he going to give up 35 yards of field position by finding pass interference on the defense? Is he going to take a touchdown off the board by finding a push-off by the offense? And I don't know that one person should have that much power. I don't know how you police it. I don't know how you check it. But you got one person in that command center at 345 Park Avenue that has that final say authority over every game, and I just think they need to be careful about it. What are your thoughts on that? Well, if it is going to be a situation where it's review, I think it is good that it's one person because then hopefully there's a level of consistency, right? They see it the same way every time, and so you know exactly how it's going to be called. When somebody has a chance to slow something down and watch it, is much different than real time, right? 
real time, uh, it's, man, I, I thought I saw it or, or I, I didn't quite catch it or, you know, whatever it might be. I think, I think the person who probably has the hardest job is the one who's actually the one pressing the button during a two-minute situation, you know, that's up in the booth that's going to end up, you know, causing the referee to stop the game to then send it to New York to take a look at it. You know, basically the replay official who is up in the booth at, at, during a two-minute drive at the end of a game, and he has to assess in real time as the offense is hurrying up to the ball after a completion or a what have you, was that a PI, was it an OPI, do I press the button to stop the game, to stop the momentum, to then send this to New York to take a closer look at it? I mean, those are there's a lot of moving parts here, right? And so... Again, like I said, we're just going to have to let it play out, and I'm sure there's going to be some controversial uh, moments. And that's where that 17 different replay officials comes into play because some of them may view when to press that button differently than the others. All right, I got to press the button on why you're here today. You've got the Jimmy John's franchises. Jimmy John's has the home in the zone contest. Tell us all about what Jimmy John's is doing to help folks who may be beyond the delivery zone for Jimmy John's food. Yeah, well, bottom line is this, is that Jimmy John's, uh, with their Home in the Zone contest, is going to basically buy a home for someone who currently lives outside the Jimmy John's delivery zone. They're going to buy them a home inside the Jimmy John's delivery zone so they can get Jimmy John's delivered to them. <laughs> As a Jimmy John's franchisee, um, I'm, I'm very well aware of this because I fight for every inch I can get in our delivery zones. But we, we set our delivery zones five minutes um, basically a five-minute uh, radius around our, our stores, and that is so that we get the sandwich to you as fast and fresh as possible. And that's something we are so consistent and disciplined about. Well, inevitably what happens is you have some Jimmy John super fans that are located outside the delivery zone. I've been one of them at, at times, right? So um, this is a fun contest that gives fans an opportunity to go on to jimmyjohns.com to fill out a 250-word essay describing why they should – uh, win the competition and, and, and win a home up to 250 grand inside a Jimmy John's delivery zone so they can get Jimmy John's delivered to them. Yeah, that application, dreamhomeinthezone.com, until April the 4th. And, uh, and you know what? I, I've handled plenty of promotions over the years. This is one of the more creative ones I've seen. I love it. And, uh, hell, I may have to make an application. I don't think I'm within the Jimmy John's uh, delivery zone here. One more before I let you go. <laughs> One more before I let you go. You've been with Sean Payton since 2006. And when you think back, I mean, that was a long time ago. How do you guys, at this stage of your relationship, how do you find ways to challenge each other? Well, I, I think it's uh, because the game continues to change, right? The game continues to evolve. And so for us, it's not, it's not like we're just sitting staying in the same place. You know, we're constantly needing to evolve. And, you know, whether it's keeping up with the game or staying ahead of the game, um, whether it's new personnel that comes in um, that we're, you know, having to fine-tune the offense. And, and, and inevitably, you're trying to put everybody around you in the best position to succeed, right? And, and everyone has a role, and everybody needs to work together. And so every season is a new season. It's a new opportunity, but it's also, hey, new personnel. And, you know, how are we piecing this all together, right? And what role is everyone going to play? And, and then how is the offense, you know, uh, uh, predicated on that? And so that's the challenge. But it's also the fun part as we watch all that come together and we have a chance to put that together.
Well, Drew, it's been fun to watch throughout your entire career, and we wish you all the best this season. Thanks so much for some of your time. All the best to you and the family, and uh, good luck this season. All right, Mike. Thank you. Thanks again to Drew Brees for some of his time as he's getting ready for the 2019 NFL season. Before I get ready to answer some of your questions, let me say this. And yes, this is an indication that we're starting to make some money on this podcast. Not nearly enough, but at least some. Everyone knows the risks of driving drunk. You get in a crash, people get hurt, people get killed. Let's take a moment to consider some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the U.S. die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicular crashes. It's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each and every year. Apart from what drunk driving can do to your life, it can affect your liberty and it can affect your cash. You get arrested. Legal expenses. Jail. You can lose your job. You'll be a pariah in the community. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Very easy. You plan a safe ride home before you start drinking. You designate a sober driver or you call a taxi or an Uber or any other app or device out there to get your ass home without you having to drive. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We know the consequences of driving drunk and we know how easy it is to get home. I said this last week when we did this spot. There's always a moment when you are sliding down that path to inebriation and you know that it's going to be one of those nights. At some point, you have to make the arrangements to get yourself home without driving before you continue down that super fun, happy slide of getting yourself sloshed. And really, it isn't all that super, it isn't all that fun, and it doesn't really make you happy. Alcohol is a depressant. But regardless, I don't care if you get drunk. I just don't want you to drive drunk. For your sake, for the sake of anyone you may kill, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over, paid for by NHTSA. All right, time to answer your questions. i got to find the gift. What gift did I use today? Oh, here it is. It's Drew Brees with this kind of... Kind of combination Miami Vice Schneider from one day at a time thing. 35 questions today. Let's see what we can get to. At for quick news. Ask Drew. Listen, people. I said in the quest. I knew this was going to happen. New PFTPM is coming with a pre-taped Drew Brees interview. Ask your questions now, but for me, not Drew, because the interview is pre-taped. The first damn question is for Drew. Are you all going to do this? For quick news, ask Drew if he still thinks all the old players are broke due to failed investments in bad marriages like he stated during the lockout when the older players got paid 60 k a season and not 60 k a game. I lost all respect for him when he said that. The interview's already been taped. He did crap on the retired players a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah, you're a little bit. You, you insulted him a little bit. That was eight years ago. He's not involved in it this time around. He was very involved the last time around. At Mertmore, ask Drew, son of a bitch. 
Ask Drew how some people around the league are calling him the ultimate stat patter, please. Okay, I will. I'll ask him. Let, wait, let me stop and I'll call him. Well, why don't I just call him back? I mean, it's been about four hours since I interviewed him. Let me call him back and say, hey, Drew, you know, I call out for questions every day when I do the PFTPM podcast. And, you know, sometimes I mention who the guest is, but I'll specifically say that the interview's already been taped, so the questions are only for me, not for the guest. And some of these people will still ask questions for the guest. So, do you mind if you answer this question? What do you think about the criticism that you're a stat patter? Would that work? At two triumvir, have you ever asked Chris Long, Richard Sherman, or other athletes who engage with PFT to be a guest on the show to hash out some of the disagreements? I'm sure I have at some point. I'm sure I have. I'd be happy to do it. I think one time, D'Angelo Williams, when he was playing for the Steelers during a Le'Veon Bell suspension and was doing really well, we were talking about how well he was playing even though he was old, and he took issue on Twitter. So we invited him to call in, he called in, he yelled at me. It was kind of fun. This thing with Chris Long and Richard Sherman the other day, and, and, and you know, that wasn't, Example of hearing some, from someone in the media with a competitor saying, well, I don't know what these guys are thinking. The quote from Richard Sherman matched the context exactly of the way you characterized it. Richard Sherman said, and I'm paraphrasing now, I don't have it in front of me, but Richard Sherman was asked by Peter King about an 18-game season. He said, I think there's a, a very small chance of it happening or works to that effect. There has to be an astronomical concession made by the league. And that was a significant comment because he's the first person from union leadership to say anything other than no effing way, I don't want 18 games. So the door's open. It's going to be incredibly expensive, but the door's open. That's the point. So Chris Long feels compelled to say, oh, here's the exact quote. Yeah, the exact quote matches the way we characterized it. And folks, first of all, if, if I'm going to do clickbait again, it would say what Richard Sherman said about the 18-game season is insane. And second of all, a mass audience does not give two shits about two more regular season games. That's not going to get people to click on it. You may disagree with the way we word it, but God, God. And here's the other thing, too. We have a Twitter account so we can put links to stories to get you to click them. They are all clickbait. It is bait, so you will click it. Now, if we want to have an extended and honest and open and transparent relationship with our audience, we're not going to take advantage of them by linking a bunch of bullshit that they click on it and they aren't satisfied by it. If you start telling people that a story is something other than what it is, or you are overtly manipulating them to get them to click on something, and then they click on it like, what the hell am I doing? That pisses people off. And we see those links everywhere. For a while, there were these links popping up that were implying that someone had died. And it was funny because one of them was Terry Bradshaw. Gone too soon at age 70. Remember those? I think they poked fun about it on Fox NFL Sunday. Hey, they're doing it to you again, Terry. Yeah, I tried to kill him 12 years ago. That's clickbait. Usually it's ads. Or it's a click harvest of photos saying that how some 
actor or actress looks from the 80s now is insane. It'll blow your mind. That's clickbait. But I, so I guess, you know, I'm agreeing with Aaron Rodgers because what we do, and we've been using Twitter now for a decade. We post our story. For every story, there's a short link that's generated. So it doesn't take up a ton of characters. Because remember, not that long ago, it was 140 characters or less. So you get a short link that takes up maybe 20 characters. And sometimes what we'll do is, whatever the headline of the story is, because it shows up, when you put the link in, there'll be a box with the photo from the story and the headline. Sometimes we just do the same headline in the body of the tweet. I don't like doing that if I can avoid it. Sometimes I don't even think about it. It's like I got to move on to the next story, so I just repeat the same headline. Other times I'll come up with something different. But you can see the headline right below it. For example, there was a story about Sean Payton comparing Taysom Hill to Steve Young. The headline that, and I don't know who at PFT wrote it, the headline itself said Sean Payton compares Taysom Hill to Steve Young. The tweet said, Sean Payton compares Taysom Hill to a Hall of Famer. Well, look, is that vague? Yes. Is that clickbait? It's baitish. It's not the overt. What Sean Payton said about Taysom Hill is insane. But right below it, you can see who he's comparing him to before you click on it. But the whole idea is try the veal. That's the whole idea. We want you to click on the story. Now, for some of you, our Twitter feed is something you just scroll down. And we understand that a lot of you who are using Twitter aren't going to click. They're just going to look at the tweet, and the tweet is going to be all they glean from it. And we don't benefit from that in any way, shape, or form. We could ignore the platform and let others put the information out there and have the followers... We choose to embrace the platform. Today we have about 30,000 clicks from Twitter. We'll probably end up with 80,000 by the time it's all said and done. I'll, I'll, I'll completely peel the curtain back. As of right now, we have 750,000 page views as of this moment. 3.41 p.m. Eastern. 7.49, 3.38 at 3.41 28,283 from Twitter. It's not a huge percentage of our overall traffic. But the goal is to get you to click. Let's see yesterday. 66,531 from Twitter on 1.612 million page views, which was a solid Monday in August. That's a solid Monday. 1.612 million from 691,450 visitors. So anyway, yes, the goal is to get you to click. But if we take advantage of you, if we lie to you, if we misrepresent to you, then we impair our relationship with you. And every once in a while, I'm going to have to deal with a Chris Long or a Richard Sherman who thinks subjectively, and look, if you think what you think, I don't care. But they think subjectively that what they said was in some way bastardized or twisted. 
The full quote was in the freaking story for crying out loud. Now, if somebody clicked on that and thought, man, I really thought that this guy said more than he said. I can't believe that Florio did that. I'm never going back there. I've impaired the relationship. That's why you don't do that. You want people to keep coming back. You don't want them to think you're lying to you. Lakers 500. What if anything can be taken from Garoppolo's performance in last night's game? Well, look. I like what Garoppolo said about in a regular game, you'd have more opportunities to try to get right. In a regular game, you'd have a chance to continue. Three drives, 10 snaps, one throw, or one completion, six attempts, one pick, no yards, no touchdowns, 0.0 passer rating. I'm sure there are plenty of guys who the first two or three drives of a game have crap statistics. Full game, what would have happened? Flow of the game, adjustments, halftime, etc. What would have happened? Full game planning, what would have happened? One thing Chris Sims said, because these two teams practiced against each other for a couple of days, there's a chance that the Broncos changed things up. Played a little different defense. But look, if, if we're going to get mildly excited about a guy looking good in the preseason, then I think it makes sense to, at a minimum, wonder what the hell's going on when a guy looks bad in the preseason. I think that's a fair assessment. I think it's a fair concern. Guy doesn't look good. Garoppolo didn't look good. Garoppolo's got some mental baggage he's going to have to shed. Torres ACL doing something stupid last year. He's got to be embarrassed by that. The guy tore his freaking ACL trying to be a tough guy. Throwing a, a hit. Stopping at the sideline. Cutting back in to throw a hit. Tears his ACL. We thought when it happened that he hurt his shoulder. He had the five interceptions on five straight throws last week in practice. He had the crap performance last night. And come Saturday, he's got to go back to Arrowhead Stadium. And have a little of the hair of the dog that bit him. Go back to that same city. Hotel. If I'm the 49ers, I'm staying in a different hotel. I'm changing this up as much as I can. Just for Jimmy Garoppolo. So he doesn't have flashbacks. Oh God, the last time I, I, I landed at this airport, I tore my ACL. The last time I stayed at this hotel, I tore my ACL. That's the only thing that's going to change. Everything else is the same. Let's say fly into a different airport. They're playing the game at the same freaking stadium. They're going to have the same locker room. Maybe it'd be good for him. I don't know. But he's got to process some of this stuff. He's got to get his act together by week one. They got a weird schedule at Tampa, at Cincinnati, and then at home against the Steelers, and then a bye. What are they going to be? Anything less than two and one, it's going to be some early alarms. And I know that it's a full season, and you will hear me say coming up in a few weeks, forget about what happened week one. Throw it out. The only time to be alarmed is if you lose at home to a division rival because then you're going to have to play that team again in their building. You get swept. Makes it very hard to win the division. I say that every year. I'll say throughout the first two weeks. But what you start doing when you lose games early, you narrow your margin for error, your window of opportunity to get to the playoffs. Those losses pile up. We were talking today about that Bills-Jets game week one because Sims and I believe that one of those two teams is going to be a factor in the AFC wildcard race. They play week one, Bills-Jets. 
that's going to be one of those games that somebody is going to look back on week one as week 17 approaches and I think, damn, be nice to have had that win. So I think there's reason to be concerned. And if you are the 49ers and Garoppolo stinks this year, I think that you need to be looking for another quarterback. That's just the way it is. Tyler Furness, how do you feel about the Daniel Jones comments from Baker Mayfield? I think the only issue is that he said them because he is a quarterback in the NFL, as most analysts would agree with his statement. I mean, there's a there's a line that that as an NFL player, it's smart to not cross. You don't want to be expressing opinions about other teams, other players negative opinions you just don't want to do that what good comes from that what what does baker mayfield gain by saying i was shocked that daniel jones was the sixth overall pick or whatever his exact words were what does he gain from that not a damn thing it's relevant because he's not an opinion maker it's relevant because this doesn't usually happen And he did get plenty of criticism. You know, the first thing that'll happen when something like that occurs, there are certain quarterbacks who seem to get criticized all the time. And as soon as another quarterback says something like, oh, what would it be if so-and-so had said it? Come on. They all get criticized when they they say things they shouldn't say and do things that we objectively think they shouldn't do. If it would have been Aaron Rodgers, he'd have been criticized. If it was Baker Mayfield, he was criticized. Anybody who would have said it would have been criticized. For me, the thing that bothered me was not that he said it so much as the way that the quote was harvested from Baker Mayfield by Clay Skipper. Because plenty of guys say plenty of things that aren't meant for publication that would be controversial. They're human beings. Eddie Horse Sports, who's coming out of the AFC South to win the division? I only see the winner making the playoffs. I'll have questions. Colts with Lux Health, Texans with O'Brien doing everything, Titans QB situations, and Jaguars with Foles. I have no idea what say you. Of the four teams right now, I'd say the Jaguars. I think Nick Foles is going to turn that team around. And I think the decision to move on from Blake Bortles allows the accountability to have credibility. One of the issues last year with the Jaguars, players thought there was a double standard. They were busting their asses to prop up Blake Bortles when the players knew he wasn't good enough. And I think Nick Foles will create real relationships with teammates on both sides of the ball. He'll help get the most out of his teammates. He will be a leader, the kind of leader that they need. So I think right now, especially with the Andrew Luck question marks, I'll go Jaguars. Eddie Horse Sports, which week one game is most pivotal to potential playoff seeding and contention? Steelers-Pats is my pick. For seeding, Titans, Browns, Jets, Bills, and Bears, Packers are also intriguing thoughts. Well, I've already talked about Jets, Bills. Because I see those two teams really being in the mix for the five seed or the six seed. And one of those teams is necessarily going to lose week one unless, of course, there's a tie. God, I hope there's no ties. I hate ties. Wasn't there a rash of ties last year? The seasons start to kind of blend together for me. There was like a rash of ties. and it, You know, it's because there's only 10 minutes in the 
overtime period, which is all about propping up the Thursday night football package because you can't have teams playing 75 minutes on Sunday turning around and playing on Thursday night. That happened to the Buccaneers a few years ago. So instead of getting rid of Thursday night football, what they decided to do was cut overtime down to 10 minutes, even though teams are packing just as many reps into the 10 minutes. I'm looking at the week one schedule now. Rams-Panthers is intriguing. Loser of that game. Maybe a little bit harder for them. If the Rams lose, it's going to pop that bubble a little bit. They are low in the in the ranking of the teams that are attracting the action in Las Vegas to win the Super Bowl, like 10th, 8th, something like that. They're low on the list. And their their odds are 15-1. to 1. Bills, Jets, as I mentioned. Falcons, Vikings, if the, if the Vikings would lose at home to start the season to the Falcons, then it's going to be sound the alarm time in Minnesota. But again, it, I know it doesn't mean anything, but still, when you've only played one game, the outcome of that one game means everything. Giants, Cowboys, you know, the Giants have fared pretty well in the stadium that was opened in Dallas a decade ago. They stunned the Cowboys without Ezekiel Elliott unless they work that out. Texans-Saints is a sneaky great game. Broncos-Raiders. I feel like one of those two teams is going to be better. That week one performance will give us an idea of which one it may be. Okay, here we go. Javier SP. As a Bucks fan, I've seen you year after year after year kill my team. I ask you, Drew, no, wait, I beg you. Could you kindly please retire? I hear Peyton Manning needs a friend. Again, these were questions not meant for Drew. Jerry Bissett, is it ego or the NFL not self-scouting themselves? That's a nod to one of Chris Sims' favorite sayings. They have the tact and finesse of a bull in a china shop. It really is odd to me. For as successful as the NFL is, there is an ego there. There's a power component that makes them feel like they can, you know, throw their weight around. They're tough to negotiate with. For anyone that negotiates with them, they are the NFL. You want to do business with us? You're going to pay. Remember that NFL magazine? They drove such a hard bargain with the company that published that magazine. It drove the company out of business. You got to find a way to get to a win-win. They are so used to companies willing to pay a premium and lose money just to do business with the NFL. And that's fine unless you lose so much money you go out of business. I love the NFL generally. I have been a fan of the NFL since I was eight years old. I was in equal parts a baseball and football fan growing up. Probably into the 80s, I developed more of a passion for the NFL. Probably as a result of the fact that in the 70s, My favorite baseball team won a championship, the Pirates in 79, and I grew up a Vikings fan, unfortunately, given that if I locked onto the Steelers like everybody else in the town I grew up in, 60 miles from Pittsburgh, I'd have been able to celebrate four of them. But you know what? I probably wouldn't be in this business right now. 
because I got more interested in football. Because through my teens and into my 20s, every year it was like, are they finally going to win this goddamn Super Bowl so I can quit? If, if they ever would win a Super Bowl, and now that I'm in this business, I really don't care like I used to. But I always wondered, like, when I was 15, 20, 25, 30, when I was all in, if they win a Super Bowl, am I just not going to care anymore? And there's a chance you take away the business aspect of it now that has kind of transformed my life and allows me to just not work. Somebody said to me last week, man, you work all the time. You could have been like a surgeon or something. It's like, yeah, but nobody's going to die if I screw up doing this. Except for Terry Bradshaw. So, I've always wondered how I'd feel as a football fan. Not that it's ever going to be a problem. So anyway, what was the question? Oh, I love the NFL, and I always have. But I reserve the right to criticize the way the NFL, the business, conducts itself. Because I think it should aspire. To me, like, you know, it's always been on a pedestal for me. It was kind of, and for me, the moment where I really started to be like, oh, in Bounty Gate, when they were pushing that false interpretation of the sideline audio, remember they had Mary Jo White, who was supposedly an independent voice that was assessing the evidence and essentially propping it up, taking the paycheck and propping up flimsy evidence. When I had that eureka moment in the summer of 2012 that she was not properly representing what was on that audio. Remember that, Bobby, give me my money. And it was supposed to be, was Anthony Hargrove? It was supposed to be him. And I think it was somebody else. And it really wasn't all that relevant. The way they were characterizing it didn't make the case any stronger. It was still a strong case. You got somebody on the sideline saying, give me my money. In a dispute where the question is whether or not they were offered money to knock Brett Favre out of the NFC Championship game 10 years ago. But they overplayed their hand. And they misrepresented what was said. And it got me... There was something in me at that moment that, that kind of, and I was always, look, I've, I've always been candid and a lot of it's tongue in cheek and, you know, you're just poking fun and, and there are ways the game can improve. But, but that was the moment where the, the, I, something changed in me. And I realized that like every other big business, this is a big business. And they're going to say what they have to do to advance their own interest. And there's a political component to you say what you have to say to advance your interests and to support your agenda. And I pride myself on being a, you know, an, an independent voice. And, and it's hard to be a truly independent voice because if you're not a truly independent voice, well, first of all, if you're taking a paycheck from the NFL, you know, you make money. And if you keep your nose in the buttocks of the NFL, you get better access, you get treated better, you get invited to dinners, you get invited to conference calls, you get invited to be on this panel and that panel. And it's fine. I'm still going to be an independent voice. It's worked for me this far, and I'm going to continue to do it. So you're right, Jerry Bissett. There are times when the NFL has 
the tact and finesse of a bull in a china shop. And when they do that, I point out what's happened in the hopes that they won't do it the next time. Sando Shuffle, when did clapping become a false start penalty? Last Thursday night. I, I think they'll get that worked out. Kyle Thomas, can we get a post-game breakdown of Viking Seahawks from Funda- Sunday night? I, didn't, I, I watched some of it. Here's what happens. And I told this to Paul Allen of KFAN today, who does all the Vikings games, preseason, regular season, postseason, when they make it. Week one of the preseason, I'm intrigued. I know the games don't count, but it's been so damn long since I've seen football. I really want to watch football, and I'm willing to suspend disbelief and pretend. You catch yourself doing that? Like, maybe it's just kind of like it's real. This is kind of real, right? It's real. They're wearing helmets and shoulder pads, and the lights are on, and it... It's no different than a regular season game. Just a lot of these guys won't be playing for the team then. So week one, I get myself a little bit worked up. You see Kyler Murray play well. You see Daniel Jones play well. You see guys coming back from injury looking good or whatever the case may be. You're intrigued about who's going to play, who's not going to play. And then week two, you get a little more excited. At some point for me during week two, it snaps. And I'm like, let's just get to week one of the regular season. So by Sunday night, I just didn't care. I just did not care. And I really didn't pay much attention to the Vikings-Seahawks game. And when the game ended, they had like a slow-motion clip of a guy like running and waving from the Vikings like, we won. What'd you win? What does that matter? Paul Allen pointed out today when I was on with him that Mike Zimmer is now 14-3 and in the preseason. Who gives a shit? And if you really want to win preseason games, you can. It's not that hard. Especially if you're playing a team that's just there for the practice. You know, I I had an opinion today on PFT Live that maybe the Steelers are trying to win these preseason games just so they can get used to winning. They're kind of flushing the dysfunction out of their system, and one way to do that is to win these preseason games. Tyler Furness on the CCS Pro Football Podcast. We did the top 30 NFL players, and I ended up with Aaron Donald number one. He's also your number one player in the league today. I don't know. I haven't ranked him, Tyler. I'm sorry. Unless I'm going to do a list that becomes clickbait and I make money off of, I don't do a list. I don't disagree with Aaron Donald being number one, but as a principal matter, I feel like it's got to be a quarterback. I'd say Patrick Mahomes, but I'm not making a list. I'll make a list of one, Patrick Mahomes. That's it. Another one from Jerry Bissett. Boy, Jerry Bissett won't let this go. How does a multi-billion dollar organization with owners worth billions make so many mistakes? They just do. Here's the thing. When you can make these mistakes and it never affects the bottom line, there's no reason to not make the mistakes. I guarantee you, if the NFL had a true competitor that they weren't able to buy, like they did with the AFL 50 years ago, they would commit themselves to getting rid of these mistakes. I'm sensing no real push to fix this replay review for pass interference nonsense. None. Other than I got a text yesterday and I wrote about it and we've talked about it, that the coaches didn't want replay review of anything other than the most egregious examples of mistakes. But it's not like last year when the sky was falling because of the way that helmet rule was being interpreted and applied. I think at some point, once the games count, 
the sky is going to be falling. And I'd rather the sky fall ahead of time and the changes be made ahead of time. What I didn't like about last year is they changed the way they were enforcing roughing the passer during the season. Anytime you change the way the rules are being implemented during a season, you undermine the integrity of that 256-game season. Because some games would have been decided differently under a different standard if that standard had been applied throughout the season. Super Bowl 52. A couple of touchdown catches that very well may have been overturned during the season. Corey Clement, Zach Ertz, especially Corey Clement. That one definitely gets overturned during the regular season. I didn't like it because I think they should have had a consistent standard. You don't change it just because more people are watching. You change it in the offseason. So I'm poking the bear as much as I can to try to ensure that they get this thing changed, that they explain to Al River on what he needs to do and how he needs to do it before we get to week one of the regular season. And he really is the most powerful man in football right now. There's no two ways around it. He is the most powerful man in the National Football League when the games are being played because he can affect the outcome of every game now. He can give out 34, 35, 38, 52 yards of field position or more by finding pass interference defensively on what would be an incomplete long bomb. He can take a touchdown off the board by saying there was offensive pass interference. He can take an interception off the board by saying there was defensive pass interference. And I don't like how this standard's being applied. As I've said a few times over the past week, it should be the what the hell standard. When you watch it full speed, if you don't say what the hell, then it shouldn't be reversed. It's got to be so egregious that you're like, what in the hell are they thinking? Overturn it. Anything other than that, frame by frame, well, you can see the defensive player is grabbing on the jersey of the offensive player, significantly hindering his ability to catch the ball. How the hell do you know that? Defer to the judgment that is being exercised on a subjective basis by the officials who are among the players. That's been the defense they've always given. It's a judgment call, it's a judgment call, it's a judgment call, and you're right, and they should only invade that judgment when the judgment was clearly exercised in an erroneous manner. This is wearing me out today. Steph Boyardee, in their prime time, who was better? Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss, Jerry Rice. Jerry Rice, but it could have been Randy Moss, but Randy Moss didn't work hard enough. I remember when Randy Moss suggested back in 2012 in the run-up to Super Bowl 47 that he was the best receiver of all time, and it pissed me off because he could have been. He had more God-given ability than any other player that ever played the receiver position or maybe any position. He didn't get the most out of it. I play when I want to play. Lollygagged. When the ball wasn't come to him, he didn't do shit. I was at a game his rookie year in Baltimore. Before I was even in the business. Had to go see Randy Moss, West Virginia guy. I was a Vikings fan at the time. Vikings were having a special season. They seemed to be destined to go to the Super Bowl. They almost did. They would have lost to the Broncos, I'm sure of it. But I went to see Vikings at Ravens. And on the plays when the ball was going to Randy Moss, he ran out of the huddle. On the plays when it wasn't going to Randy Moss, he 
shuffled his feet out of the huddle. It was so obvious when the ball was going to him based upon the way he left the huddle. Still can't stop him. But that's just a little snippet. He only brought it when he wanted to bring it. If that guy brought it all the time, if you could remove that that little flag, and if I see it, the team see it. Hey, it's coming to Moss. If that defensive back knows to watch the way Randy Moss comes out of the huddle and still can't stop him, what if he didn't have that tell? Good luck stopping him because you never know when it's going to him. When you know it's going to him, you still can't stop him. So I'd say Jerry Rice because of what he did to get the most out of his God-given ability, but it could have been Randy Moss. That's why I, I don't think Randy Moss should have gotten the Hall of Fame the first ballot. I think Terrell Owens should have. I had a voter explain to me years ago that between the two, Terrell Owens should get in before Moss because Owens never quit on his team, and Moss did on multiple occasions. Did you see Moss last night? I mean, I feel bad going in on a West Virginia guy who was a great receiver in his day and is in the Hall of Fame. But he had the question for Antonio Brown, do you really want to be a Raider? Randy Moss didn't want to be a Raider. Randy Moss was so lackadaisical about his football career in 2006, his second season with the Raiders, as the team just absolutely stunk. People thought he still couldn't play. People thought it was over. People thought he just lost it. No, he hadn't lost it. He just didn't care. All right, let's see what else we have here. Steph Boyardee, ever try face of the franchise mode on Madden? I probably need to. Every time that I work out and I do an hour a day, I work on my ultimate team. And so if I spend that time doing something else, I'm not devoting the proper attention to making my ultimate team better. So I'll just have to, some slow Friday night when nothing's going on, I'll just have to pop in the disc or I didn't. I don't have the disc this year. They just gave me the code. I'll download the code. I'll be down in the barn. I'll download the game down there, and I'll, I'll try face the franchise. Paul PJ5. Oh, it's the first Antonio Brown question. If Brown can't wear his old helmet, why doesn't he wear the shut XP VTD? Too close to STD. Two helmet model. It has a similar shell and the same face mask as his old helmet. Looks better than shut Vengeance VTD, which is what he wore during pregame war. I don't know. I, do you think we can even begin to understand what makes that guy tick? Steph Boyardee, what is something you do differently with food? Like how Pat Mahomes uses ketchup on his steak. I don't think I have any weird food quirk. I don't like condiments. Except ketchup for, uh, for French fries. Now, I don't like, like ketchup getting on my hands or on my other food. Like, the ketchup has to be completely self-contained away from my other food. I don't want ketchup on my burger, but I'll have ketchup on my fries. And I don't want the ketchup to invade the vegetables. I don't want it on my fork. I don't, like, put the fries there and squirt ketchup all over them. You have a ketchup mound that is solely for the french fries, and nothing else goes near it. I don't know how weird that is. I don't think that's all that uncommon. I hate mustard. I hate mayonnaise, and I don't like ketchup on anything but that little mound for french fries. I'm trying to think if there's anything else that I do weird with food. I don't think there really is. 
I used to when I was a kid, if I had a plate of food that had the meat, the potatoes, and the vegetables, I would never alternate among the three. I would eat the entire meat, the entire potatoes, and the entire vegetables. Well, a lot of kids probably do that, right? So that's not all that weird. Steph Boyardee, do you remember when Brock Lesnar tried to play football? Are there any other famous athletes that attempted to play the great game? Well, you know, there have been guys who were like track stars. Remember Ronaldo Nehemiah? And he actually was okay. He wasn't nearly as good as he was as a track star. And when Usain Bolt exploded onto the scene, there was all this speculation he'd play football. Why the hell would he play football? Why would you get yourself banged up when you make that much money running in a straight line? I can't remember any others. They decided almost kind of like a gimmick they were going to play football. Wasn't Andre the Giant going to play football? Probably not. I don't think they could find a helmet big enough for Andre the Giant if they tried. Dean Osborne, 42. How good do you think Denver's defense will be this year? Are they AFC West favorites? Dean, Dean, you forget about the Chiefs? Steph Boyard, Steph Boyard comes up with some crazy questions. I, I'm not complaining. Sometimes I like talking about stuff other than football. What subject in school were you best at growing up? You strike me as a science guy. Is that a compliment? I was a math guy. For as shitty as I am at math now, I was a math wizard. Seventh grade. I got to go through the book at my own pace. I was exempt from having to pay attention. I just sat there and motored through that book, took the test at the end of the chapter, moved on to the next chapter. I got through the entire book and halfway through the next book. And when we do those standardized tests, when it was math time, it was always 98th, 99th percentile. I was a math genius. And now I can't do anything without the calculator on my cell phone device. What happened to me when I went to college... Because you grow up in a small town, you go to parochial school, and it lays the foundation for living life the right way, I think. It definitely doesn't lay the foundation to go to a college like Carnegie Mellon and be competitive in calculus when you've never had calculus. I remember my senior year in high school, a buddy and I audited a calculus class at a local community college just so we would be somewhat familiar with the terms that we were about to get whacked in the face with at college. And of course, after a while, we quit going. I mean, it was Tuesday, Thursday nights. There were like high school events. It was our last semester. We wanted to get out and do things, you know. So, but I, then, then, then college came around and I got a taste of calculus and I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And thus ended my, my lifelong affair with mathematics. It's funny because... I I was looking for something up in the attic of our garage today. Half of it is kind of like storage, and the other half is the PFT Live studio. And I came across some memos that I had written when I worked at Chevron back in the 1980s in a co-op program. And... I was reading through these things, and first of all, I have no recollection of ever stringing these words together. I have no recollection of the projects. I was working in a materials laboratory where if anywhere in the entire Chevron Corporation something broke at a refinery, a pipe burst, they would cut that pipe out 
that piece of broken pipe. They'd send it to this lab, and we would begin the process of figuring out what the hell happened. It was basically CSI, how did that frickin' pipe burst? So, and then, you know, I had you know, real responsibility and doing these projects and stuff, you know, and I'm reading these memos like, who the hell wrote these? And my God, could they be any more boring? It's the most boring, dry writing. I was impressed. The writing wasn't horrible. I was 22, 21, 22. It's like, yeah, it's decent writing, but it's all boring as shit. It's no wonder I got out of that and went to law school. In the law school writing, I haven't come, I, I probably got some stuff floating around there that I'd read and I'd say, God, but at least you had a little more freedom and, and it's more persuasive and it's not technical, but that technical heavy writing about anodes and cathodes and aluminum alloys and failure rates and, oh, man. How did I make it through that program? I can remember some days where I was sitting at my desk and just looking at the clock. And this is one of the reasons why, you know, I try to find some meaningful purpose in what I do now, because we try to help you have a diversion from the boring shit that you have to deal with on a regular basis. Because I know there's a lot of boring jobs out there and I can just remember sitting there and there's a clock on the wall, and I could swear that son of a bitch is rolling backward. And it's like, when is it going to be five o'clock? Get me the hell out of here. And you're fighting through in the afternoon, you're getting tired, and you just don't want to do this stuff. And it's just boring. And thank God that I don't have a job like that. And I should never complain about anything that I ever have to do. If I ever complain about anything, that I have to do in this job. Someone please remind me of my co-op program at Chevron in this drab metal building that was full of dangerous chemicals. There was always a concern if and when there was an earthquake out there, those things were going to get unleashed and kill everybody in the building. That was always a comforting thought. Hydrogen sulfide, H2S. That was the stuff that Killed all those people in Bhopal. Remember that? Was it a DuPont factory? Somewhere there was a chemical leak of H2S and killed all those people in India. So anyway, if I ever complain about anything, anything whatsoever related to this business, set me straight. Just remind me of the Chevron Materials Lab, 1985 to 1987. I'm going to keep those memos around too. And anytime I'm thinking, hey, I don't feel like doing the show today, or, ah, hey, man... Why do I got to travel this weekend? I'm going to look at those memos and I'm going to say, thank God I have to. Because a lifetime of doing that, I don't know that I'd have been able to pull it off. And obviously I wasn't, or I'd have done it. All right, what else? Dean Osborne, 42, your favorite NFL stadium is no longer used or standing. Three Rivers. Three Rivers, without question. I love Three Rivers. The big giant ashtray. Like the vet in Philadelphia... Riverfront Stadium in Cincinnati. They're like the three, the same three stadiums. The multi-purpose baseball football stadium. I loved that. It was horrible and I loved it. I went to a 1991 Pirates Braves NLCS game and we were up in the third deck. This is when Jill and I were dating. And you couldn't tell if they hit the ball. I looked at the fielders. After the pitch, I'd look at the fielders and based on their reaction, I knew whether or not the ball was hit. And this was years before they had like video boards that let you know what the hell was going on. It was horrible, but I loved it. 
Jerry Bissett, anything ever happened with the owner designation in regards to people who control NFL teams? No. Here's what happened. That was something to talk about in the slow time, frankly. Got to talk about something to fill up the calendar. Once the slow time ends, that goes away. Mike likes dirt. Throwback to the 2018 offseason topic. If you were the Vikings, would you take a one-year flyer on Breeze when his contract is up in New Orleans if Kirk Cousins hasn't panned out? I would have done it in 2018. I wouldn't do it now. I think they need to be building for the future. Going to be intriguing next year, though. Phillip Rivers may be available. Tom Brady may be available. And Drew Brees may be available. Is there going to be a team out there that has all the other pieces that just is a quarterback away? The 49ers going to want Tom Brady. Is he is he on the radar if Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't work out? Wouldn't that be something? And, and wouldn't that be exactly the thing that scratches Tom Brady's itch to go to San Francisco, his boyhood favorite team, and be better than Jimmy Garoppolo ever was? It's a low bar right now. Wouldn't that be something? How much would Kyle Shanahan change his offense for Tom Brady? How much would Tom Brady pick up of the Kyle Shanahan offense. Steph Boyardee, I got to wrap this up. I said, it's, I've been going for at least an hour, so it's like an hour and 15 minute PFT PM. Let me, let me get a few more. Steph Boyardee, when it comes to purchasing furniture and electronics around the Florio household, who gets final say between you and the missus? Are you really asking that question? If it's for the household, I'll let her pick it. Like if it's for the common areas where we are going to be both present, I'll let her make the decision. If it's for the barn or if it's for my office, then I, I, I get to make the decision. And to her credit, she never say, if I say I want to buy something, she says, go ahead. Never says no. Now, sometimes I think she's being sarcastic because she knows I won't buy it. Like, hey, hey, can I buy a Ferrari? Sure, sure. Go ahead, buy a Ferrari. Mm, I probably better not buy a Ferrari. NFL leads. If you were an NFL GM and could hire any coach other than Bill Belichick, who would you go for? East Leeds lad says Lombardi. Yeah, I don't think I'd go for Lombardi right now. I don't think you get your money's worth. I, I, don't, I don't know that he would have the command on the sidelines that you would need in a coach. Other than Belichick. Ooh. Hmm. That's a good question. That means I don't know the answer. Anytime they say that's a good question, they're buying time. Mm, that's a good question. It's a really good. That's a really good question. I'm intrigued by what the two current Belichick assistants are going to do. Even though Matt Patricia hasn't been very, been very popular in Detroit because you know he, he's changing things there and they don't like it. Between Patricia and Brian Flores, I'm intrigued by what they're going to do. How do you find the next Belichick? That's what I would want. And the one thing about coaches, they don't pay these guys nearly as much as they should. For as much as they affect a game, there should be a coach making $30 million a year or more. You're going to pay Case Keenum $18 million a year to be your quarterback, or you're going to pay a coach $18 million? Sean Payton is a guy that... I think would be an intriguing option because I believe he's very motivated and driven to become the first coach to win a Super Bowl with two different teams. See, as I'm naming names and I'm thinking, you know, there's other coaches I know, and it's not like this time of year. If they're sitting around listening to this, then you're not the guy that I want. If you're, if if there's any head coach listening to this answer 
and waiting to see whether or not I mention you. Get to work. All right. Uh, I got to wrap this up. Are you a Walmart or Target kind of a guy, Steph Boyardee? I'm from Missouri, he says. So if they don't have Walmart or Target in West Virginia, I apologize for my stupid question. They have Walmart and Target everywhere. I, I live in an area, and people think, like, like I, 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 there's somebody out there playing a banjo. Just because I live in West Virginia doesn't mean I live in the middle of nowhere. There are people who I work with who think that I live in the middle of nowhere. And that I'm, I, I'm, I'm sitting out on, you know, a haystack with a corn cob pipe and a modem with dial-up access on a Commodore 64. There's a Target five minutes from my house in one direction. There's a Walmart five minutes from my house in another direction. I can see the Home Depot out of my window. It's far away, thank God, but I can see it. It is a bustling area. It's not a big city, and we are right on the edge of nowhere. I, I explained that to someone. You know, we're kind of on the edge of nowhere where we live here. Well, it's all kind of the edge of nowhere. Well, if you came here, you'd see that it's not the edge of nowhere. If you'd come here, you'd realize that th th there are amenities. There are restaurants. There are some good restaurants. There are some bad restaurants, but there are bad restaurants everywhere. So I, anyway, to answer the question, I'm more a target guy when i was practicing law i had a lot of cases against walmart i say that on the same day that i just did a couple of walmart reads i hope they're not listening if they're listening get to work <laughs> if if you're from walmart and you're listening to now there should be there should be something else you're doing but anyway i'm not going to get into a whole rant but but uh you know people deserve representation and and walmart does not have a, a union i don't think they have union anywhere in any of their stores. So, you know, somebody feels like they were wrong. They go find a lawyer. And, uh, I took some cases against Walmart representing people who thought their, their rights were impinged. So I, I'm always nervous going back there because I, I just, I remember like, I never wanted to go there when I had cases against them because I don't want them to think that I'm, you know, I'm there dropping my cards on the floor, trying to instigate problems. Cause I wouldn't have been I'm there to shop. So I thought the best thing to do is just stay away. So even now, all these years later, uh, you know, now, I, I, you know what you know what I am you know what I am I'll go to the grocery store for stuff I need right now for anything I don't need right now it's Amazon Prime time baby and again I know maybe I needed to try this you know what I'm going to do I'm going to join the Walmart next day delivery two day delivery thing I just did two reads for it and it doesn't have an annual fee so I'm going to do that I'm going to get it on my phone and when there's something I need, like anytime I get down to the last can of shaving cream, because there's one specific shaving cream I've used for 35 years. When I get down to the last can, I order a box of six of them. And then when I get down to the last can, I order six more. I make a lot of popcorn. I got a little popcorn popper downstairs. I get six bottles of Orville Ruddenbacher, white kernels, white corn. When I get down to the last one, I order more. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give Walmart a try. I'm going I'm to put my, my money where my money is. I just did two Walmart reads, baby, for the next day delivery with no membership fee, and I'm giving it a try. Steph, it took me a few minutes, but I finally figured out where my bread's buttered. Thank you for the assist. Steph Boyardee, if you could, I got to end this. If you could flop two different quarterbacks and see how they would play out their careers, which two quarterbacks would you choose? Oh, that's easy. I'd put Peyton Manning with, with uh, the Patriots and Tom Brady with the Colts. 
or Aaron Rodgers with the Patriots and Tom Brady with the with the Packers. One more question. I got a couple. Let's get these last few. Steph Boyardee, do you plan on grilling anything before the seasons change? Steph, I plan on grilling everything. And and I'll grill after the seasons change. We used to have a pergola over my grill. What we have now is a is an actual roof with shingles. I can go out there whenever I want and fire up the grill. And if it's cold, I just stand next to the grill. I never stop grilling, baby. And if it's raining, yeah, you know, I got to walk about 10 steps before I'm under that roof. But it's worth it. The grilling never stops. Jerry Bissett, P.S. Love the show. Got to have some positivity. Love Chris and or Big Effer being on the PM podcast. Wait, do you want positivity? Do you want negativity? I mean, we have both. We have some fun. Last one, Skull Vikings 407. With the NFL cutting all 37 players on one day, how easy or harder will it be for coaches to make the decision since players tend to have up and down weeks during training camp? Now, they already know. They already know who their 53 are going to be. There's maybe competition for two or three roster spots at this point. I've had it argued to me, and I think this makes sense. You don't need 90 players on the offseason roster. You don't need 90 players at training camp. You don't need 90 players for the preseason. I think one of the reasons they have 90 players is so they can put their starters in bubble wrap for the preseason. You don't need that many guys on the team. You just don't. And then you get cut down to 53 in one day. Oh, it's one of our busiest traffic days of the year. I wish it wasn't a Saturday because people tend to be less, especially it's Labor Day weekend. It's the Saturday Labor Day weekend. It ends up being one of our busiest traffic days of the year because that's when all these cuts are made. And there will invariably and inevitably be surprises along the way. All right, that's it. This ended up being a lot longer than I intended it to be. If you listen to all of it, thank you. Uh, you know, I used to do this. Let's do this. I've got this record. I need to, I haven't asked them for a new record and fact book because I feel like they don't, uh, well, first of all, I know they don't sell them anymore, but I have everyone going back to the year 2000. I hate to break my string. Anyway, let me just find a random name in here. And if you listen to all of it, you can put that name on Twitter. So I'll know that at least somebody Listen to all of it. Here's one here. Uh, how about how about Mel Gray? Mel, there were I think there was more than one Mel Gray, but just Mel Gray. If I see Mel Gray somewhere on Twitter, I'll know that somebody listened to this whole thing as I went on and on for probably a total between this and the Drew Brees interview of an hour and a half. All right, thanks for your time. I'm going to take Wednesday off from the podcast. We'll do another one on Thursday. And uh, we'll continue to be cranking around the clock at profootballtalk.com. Everybody have a great day. We will talk to you again very soon. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.